Hey everybody and welcome back. We're going to be doing some infectious disease again today. We're going to be talking about malaria with the wonderful Dr. Jack Schneider. Welcome Dr. Schneider. It's great to be back, Dave. All right, so previously Dr. Schneider helped us out talking about the worms and then also parasites. So if you haven't gotten a chance to listen to those, uh, make sure you go back and get caught up. So as you may or may not know, Dr. Schneider is a a combined pediatric and adult infectious disease fellow uh, here at IU, so we really appreciate his knowledge and his time spent with us. Um, We're going to be talking about malaria today. It's not a huge area on the boards, but there's always a question or two on it. So we'll do our best to guide through and maybe help you pick up a couple extra points. Sound good to you, Dr. Schneider? Sounds great. And I want to reiterate, David's absolutely right in saying that you won't, you may get one to two questions at most, uh, but they're easy points too. So some of the information we're going to provide today is really all you need to know, at least in regards to malaria for the boards. All right, so where do you think's a good uh, jumping off point for us with malaria? First of all, just the causes of malaria. So, of course, Plasmodium species. What I want to mention is four major types that you all need to know, and that's 5-axovale, malaria, and falciparum. Falciparum is probably what you will get the question on, but it is important to remember those others as well. There is another Plasmodium species that's starting to poke its uh, head out, and this is Nalesi and uh, it can infect humans and is associated with severe disease, but it just has started to emerge, so probably something that is not fair game, at least for general peds boards. Uh, But just know that there is another Plasmodium species that is starting to emerge and that can be clinically significant. And like we've talked about, this has kind of evolved from just board prep, and there's a lot of our listeners that are picking up clinical knowledge, so I'm sure that they appreciate you imparting that on them. I will say, too, just with... Now that we've talked about the different plasmodium species that you need to be familiar with, there are some other risk factors that you need to know as well. In our population here, really for those that are travelers and returning from a malarial endemic area and they present with fever, even just fever by itself, you would still need to actually work them up for malaria. It is always on your differential. And always be familiar with on or be familiar with whether they have a spleen or not, because those that are asplenic, they're the ones that tend to be very sick, and that's fair game for the boards. Yeah, so they may present that you have a kind of undifferentiated fever, recent travel, and then they throw in that spleen that being asplenic as part of the question stem. So all kind of leading you towards the malaria diagnosis. Absolutely. So, David, and then I'm going to throw the question out there, too. So if you, and I'm sure you've seen so many patients like this here in the (laughs) ER where they come in with fever and they have the appropriate travel history and you're suspecting malaria, what's the first thing that you really send out and what's the most important thing to send to the lab? Would that be the smear? The smears. And it's important to know that there are, there's something called thick and thin smears. Now, granted, I don't think this will be fair game for the boards, but just know that um, we need to look microscopically to see if the Plasmodium species is there. The thick smear is really for those that are in low concentrations, and it's just layers and layers within one slide uh, where they look at the blood and see if they can see those, they can see gametocytes, if they can see ring forms. The thin smear is just to determine what type of species it is. They can determine it just based on the actual look. Nothing that you really need to know. And so uh, there are a few images that uh, David may post on on Twitter, right? Yep. And, At Peds uh, in the pod. And I think those may be fair game. It's usually the gametocyte uh, with falciparum. Uh, But I think that's the only image that they would throw out uh, for you just because it's so easy and it's only uh, specific for 
Plasmodium, Falciparum, and not the other. So I think that is fair game for you guys. Yeah, we'll make sure to put that image up uh, on Twitter so you can have some reference point while you're listening as well. Would that be the, correct me if I'm wrong, the banana gameta site? Uh, yeah, and it's called the banana gameta site, and of course it has that characteristic look like banana. And Whoa. so hopefully that, uh, hopefully uh, you'll be able to show that at least on the Twitter feed. Love it. Perfect. All right. Where else, where else do we need to focus here? So I know we talked about the diagnosis with thick and thin smears. And so if those are negative, or at least the first one, make sure that you repeat those every 12 hours. We usually do it times three. Now, if you have high suspicion for malaria, sometimes there, or if it's in low density, you'll go ahead, you'll go ahead and treat. But just know that one smear does not rule out malaria completely. So uh, I think that's just something important from a, di- or a diagnostic standpoint. We really have no other way to diagnose here. Um, and then at other institutions, too, uh, they generally just use the smears. Some of the antigen tests they use in Africa that are rapid, but they see a lot more patients with that. So it's better to have on hand. Uh, most labs just don't have them um, at routine academic centers. Not so cost-effective for us here. Right, exactly. We kind of jumped ahead of ourselves a little bit, I think, but we, we touched about it. You, know, you have a patient come in, write travel history, fever. Right. What are some of the other clinical features uh, of malaria? I, th- I think for the most part they're not super helpful, but other things you can see in somebody that has malaria? The one thing that we generally look for are the more serious symptoms of malaria. Most of the time they come in with fever. They may have some anemia. Uh, LFTs could be affected. What we become most concerned about is the one species that is important to know, and that's falciparum. And of course, that's the worst type of malaria, and that's one that can cause cerebral malaria too. So when these patients come in, they have fever, and they have the appropriate travel history. It's good just to see, all right, what's their mentation like? course, we generally see this in the peds population more so than the adults because the peds are being, uh, or the peds patients are being exposed to malaria for the first time, so they tend to be more severe. Uh, but again, it's important just to see, are they mentating well? Another thing that we look for is uh, their uh, what their blood sugar is. If they're hypoglycemic, that's an actual, uh, one of the uh, lab criteria that, you know, at least meets for severe malaria with falciparum. Uh, sometimes you can see renal failure even respiratory failure. And it's just really these red cells that are infected with falciparum uh, that sequester into these areas, whether it be the lungs, whether it be in the brain, and that's what may, or that's that's what causes the symptoms. Uh, other things that you can look for just in your general CMP or metabolic acidosis, uh, and even these patients can present uh, more in a um, septic shock picture. Um, and again, that's just from overwhelming malaria. Most of the time, the parasitemia percentage is greater than 5% um, in those cases, uh, but sometimes I've seen as high as 10 to 12% too for those that are severely ill. And I think really for us, it, it hinges on that travel history. Right. You know, once you see that, then it really clues you in. We see tons of nonspecific fever here that we don't necessarily jump to malaria. But if you've got that right travel, then you're definitely going to start to look down that path. And to be honest, David, a majority of our patients, when they come in and they do a thick or thin smear and it is positive, most of them are low density in our adult population. And you generally, now we'll talk about this in a little bit with treatment, we usually just treat them for a couple days and they get better. We really get concerned with those peds patients that come in that are very ill and have that appropriate history. Then they require more overall care uh, specifically and because they tend to manifest more of the symptoms that, that I just mentioned compared to our adult population. 
All right, very good. Well, I think you you started to touch a little bit into treatment. Is that the next place you want to go, or do you have a couple actually, other things you want to cover? Actually, I want to talk about just, I know we talked about falciparum and how it can present, uh, but I also want to talk about the blood smear in falciparum. We've already talked about this before, this banana gametocyte, which you're going to post on the Twitter feed. Uh, most of the time you can see more than one infected red blood cell on the slide and even multiple uh, parasitized red blood cells. Uh, this is different than some of the others that you see. Falciparum is, you should be able to see it. And that's just something that if you find a banana gametocyte on the peripheral blood smear, that is diagnostic for falciparum because it's not consistent with the other species. So if the lab calls you and says that there's gametocytes, then you know specifically that that is falciparum. And then you would start treatment accordingly. All right. Very good. Uh, so for the non-falciparum types... I know I mentioned before those types that you need to know, Vivax, Ovalley, Malaria, and then this other emerging one called Nalesia, or, or the Nalesi. To be honest, the ones that you need to know are Vivax and Ovalley. Malaria may come up, but the only thing that you need to know about Plasmodium malaria is that it's most commonly associated with nephrotic syndrome. And the reason why it's associated with nephrotic syndrome is that it generally presents with very low density uh, parasitemia. So sometimes you can't even detect it on smear. So these patients can be chronically infected with it. And then over time, it, they can develop those uh, uh, renal issues um, as a result of that chronic infection. Oftentimes you don't see malaria, but just know that it's capable of producing that nephrotic syndrome. And that's a fair... It's fair game for the boards. What I think is actually more important to know is Ovale and Vivax. And David, at least in your experience and after reading this too, why do you think Vivax and Ovale is so important to know about? So I don't remember in particular, but I think there was something to do with the liver that made Vivax and Ovale stick out in my brain. And absolutely right, David. So what is really interesting about Vivax and Ovale is that uh, they can form these hypnozoites that can remain in the liver so that you may not see them in the bloodstream. Most of the time when malaria-infected patients present, it's usually within a few weeks of returning from an endemic area, and you can actually see the parasitemia, or at least the parasites in those trophozoites or gametocytes within the blood smear. But with Ovalley and Vivax, you can see them up to three to five years after they return, just because it can remain in its liver stage. And that's why those are a little bit tougher to treat uh, because of that liver stage. All of our treatment really is targeted towards the bloodstream infection or the parasites within the bloodstream. But with Vivax and Ovalley, so important to know that not only do we treat for standard or as we would for a malaria-infected patient, but if you know that it's Vivax, Vivax or Ovalley, you actually add another agent to that and you treat them for 14 days extra just to eliminate that liver stage uh, of the parasite. So I think that's fair game for the boards too. So just know that falciparum is usually within a few weeks of returning from the endemic area, but then up to three to five years after, if they have the appropriate history, always consider some of these more chronic uh, plasmodium species that can hide out in the liver. Very good, all right, excellent. Now is it time to talk about treatment? <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> finally. Uh, so uh, I know that we've covered Vivax, Ovale, Malaria, and Falciparum. And uh, so again, those are just constant things that you want to remember. To be honest, if they're going to ask a question, they will probably ask it on Falciparum. And it's in regards to those really severe cases uh, that involve cerebral malaria, severe anemia, and respiratory distress. So if we jump into the treatment, I think... I don't think that they will ask you about treatment. I just think they want you to recognize malaria and then maybe give you an image and then be able to answer questions appropriately based on 
whether you need to get a better uh, travel history uh, or whether you need to initiate further treatment. I think the one thing that they may consider is for severe falciparum infections with cerebral malaria, uh, what IV medication that you use. And do you know which IV medication that they actually actually use for severe malaria? I'm sure I do. Is it quinine? It's quinine, and some people say the or say quinidine as well. And what's really interesting about this medication is is that most of the time these patients, if they're placed on it, they are they automatically get admitted to the ICU. The reason being is that the quinidine, it's IV, it's highly effective, but it can cause hypotension. That's important to know. It can also cause hypoglycemia. So these are things that need to be monitored. So you end up having to put a central line in these patients, watching these very closely, also watching that QTC interval as well. So all of those can be affected by this medication. So for your severe malaria patients with cerebral malaria and they receive this IV medication, just know that, yes, this warrants ICU admission, very close monitoring for some of those uh, parameters we talked about. And uh, that's really the routine treatment. And then once they improve, and to be honest, once you start treatment, it is so effective, they turn around very quickly. Uh, so it is, most of the time, you can then transition over to an oral medication just to complete uh, its treatment course, which is usually very short. So potentially a very f- severe form of malaria uh, admitted in the ICU, you think about uh, mm-hmm. quinine or quinidine as your... Right. Okay. Exactly. For initial treatment for severe cases. Gotcha. I would still use chloroquine for infections just for valley and malaria, just in general, if they're coming from an area that is not known to have chloroquine resistance. Really, your first-line treatment is the chloroquine. But to be honest, they are not going to ask you because even as ID docs, we have to look up certain areas that tend to have resistance. So I, I don't think it's fair for the boards. Just know that you can find that information uh, on the CDC's website uh, just where the chloroquine resistance um, is located. Uh, once you find the area where they traveled from, and if there's chloroquine resistance reported, then we can start talking about our other alternative medications. Uh, one that we tend to use a lot around here is a tovoquone proguanil. It's a combination drug that is called malarone. And even at our public hospital here and in the ER and our children's hospital, a lot of patients, if they have low parasitemia, usually that 5% is the magic number that we go by. If it's less than 5%, it can usually just do an oral regimen like that for three to four days. Probably three days is uh, sufficient, and the patients get better. So the parasitemia clears pretty quickly when it's right. in that area. Right. Excellent. Um, and so I think those are the main ones that you need to know. There's also some options with uh, that you could use uh, doxycycline uh, and R or artemeter and so forth to and so forth too. But those are rarely used. What I think is fair game for the boards is not only that you treat the malaria, but I know we kept going back to this five axon ovale. Uh, and what do we, do you what do you think we have to do with five axon ovale? Because of course. The treatment I talked about with quinidine, with the malarone, it just targets the uh, active parasites within the bloodstream. So you need something that's going to go after the liver, correct? Right. So you need to actually cover those hypnozoites that can hide out in the liver with Vivax and Ovale. So that's why we tend to add something called primaquine. And primaquine is an excellent drug, and you treat for about 14 days beyond what you do for the active infection within their bloodstream. And it's just adjunctive medication uh, just to eradicate those hip- or the hypnozoites. But the primaquin is something that you need to know, but it's more or less, if they are given primaquin, what do you need to test the patient for? And yes. do you... Do you we we discussed this. this. Yeah. I know. So one of the best things about doing a podcast with Dr. Schneider is that we usually have a few cheat sheets that are readily available for me, or we discuss it ahead of time. So while I like to think of myself as well-read, 
let's be honest. I'm getting I'm getting some uh, some pointers along the way. Um, but G six PD. The, the long exactly. rounded answer to that is uh, you have to test for G six PD before you use Premaquin. And this this takes us back to step one, step two, right? That Premaquin induces hemolytic anemia. Uh, specifically in G6PD deficient persons. So you must screen for GP6, um, or G6PD deficiency before prescribing it uh, and just make sure that that is available. So uh, I think that's really the most important thing to know. Wonderful. And then um, the other thing is what comes up a lot is a medication that is used during pregnancy because, yes, it has been reported that uh, even with newborns, um, acquiring um, active plasmodium infections too. So if a pregnant woman is actually coming in with suspected malaria, uh, what's a medication you can treat with? Because we wouldn't treat with Premaquin, we can't treat with malarone or doxycycline. Really, I think that as primary or as pediatricians, we know don't use Premaquin, don't use doxy in pregnant women. But what do you think is a good alternative um, that is pretty effective? I was going to say, this is the one I feel like we would use because uh, the chloroquine resistance is always a thing. So mefloquine, would that be the one exactly. we would use? Yep. Right. Mefloquine is widely used even for prophylaxis as well for those traveling to endemic areas. Uh, but I think it is fair game for the boards. They always pull out the pregnant patients and how that's different than your routine treatment. So just no doxy and primaquine, not first-line treatment for pregnant women. So always go for mefloquine. All right. And um, I, think, I think that leads into just prophylactic uh, treatment for those travelers. To be honest, it is listed in all the board review books, but I've not seen any questions on that just because it changes and there's certain people treat things a different way. And so it just depends on what works best uh, for each patient. Um, I will say that some tend to have certain side effects, mefloquine being one of those and do you know what have you heard about these side effects with some of these medications especially for our residents here who travel over to Kenya every so often sometimes they'll take certain meds and some of the meds they've taken they've just reported these terrible side effects I'm gonna assume GI side effects most of them will have some GI (laughs) side effects but mefloquine mefloquine can tend to cause or it tends to cause just some not only the vivid dreams but just some behavioral issues too where they feel like that it's almost like with some of our HIV meds uh, where it's from a behavioral standpoint, they just feel uneasy taking it. Uh, but also the big thing is, is just, are they, have, are they having hallucinations and trouble sleeping? And that's why a lot of people just do not like to take mefloquine. And uh, to be honest, I think if I were to travel overseas, I'd probably trial doxycycline uh, just because it's pretty routine. The side effects are minimal, um, except for sunburns, right? So make sure you wear your uh, sunscreen. But for the most part, I think doxy would probably be the safe way to go. I just throw some buzzwords and some, you know, just random uh, bits and pieces of uh, malaria topics. And uh, it's just kind of a back and forth between David and me. So I'm going to ask him a question or a buzzword and see what the association is. What do you think, David? You like that? Challenge accepted. All right. So if I say banana gametocyte, what are you thinking? Plasmodium falciparum. Good. What if I am talking about uh, nephrotic syndrome and nephritis in a patient suspecting or suspected of having uh, plasmodium or has or it is plasmodium <laughs> malaria malaria yep Malary. exactly so yes. the nephrotic syndrome now if I have a patient that was that had appropriate travel history about three to five years ago in a malaria endemic area comes in with fever and we're suspecting malaria which two species do you think that we should consider 
That's the one Vivex and Ovalley because right. it hides in the liver. Because it, yep, you can't have hip or the hypnozoites yep. um, in the liver. And what do you treat uh, to basically eradicate those hypnozoites in the liver? That would be with Primaquin. Good. What do you need to send before treating with Primaquin? you got to check for G6PD deficiency. Okay. What about the ideal treatment uh, for malaria during pregnancy? Oh, which one was that? That was uh, the mefloquine, correct? Very good. And what if, it, what if somebody comes in with suspicion for cere- or cerebral malaria and you start them on quinidine? What happens to their blood sugar? Drops. Good. What about their blood pressure? Drops. Good. What, what, <laughs> what about the QTC? Prolongs. Prolongs. So just be careful of all that. Exactly. And I think that is all I think that you really need to know. So um, we've covered, I think, the most important topics. So That was awesome. I think that was a great review of malaria. So we appreciate you, Dr. Schneider. Always a pleasure to be here, David.